Welcome. Hello and welcome to the All In My Head podcast. We're glad you decided to give this podcast a listen. We're a group of teens that are making a podcast for youth by youth. We will counter stereotypes around mental health in the teen, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus community and talk about things you might find a little uncomfortable. It's real teens, real talk. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the All In My Head podcast. We hope that you're enjoying the conversations that we're having and find them interesting. Feel free to join the community by following our Instagram, which is the underscore All In My Head podcast. For today, I'll be your host. My name is Leanne. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm 18 years old. And we will be talking more about the relationship between religion, specifically Christianity, and LGBTQ plus community. My perspective on this is when it comes to these Christians that hate on queer people, it's less about what the Bible says and more about how they view queer people. And I feel like the way they view queer people is based on this idea that you should look a certain way you should dress a certain way you should probably not have tattoos you should not pierce when who you are outside should just be like a bow on top of the present i think that's what it goes if i'm not i'm not sure how like you say the same but it should just like it's more about who you are on the inside how you love people how you care about them how you treat people and for you to go about the name of like christians and you're hateful towards a certain community because of how they love that's not right just love that's all that there is to share like if you're a christian and you probably don't know how to go about queer people just love them if someone comes to you and they're queer and they want to be part of the christian community open your arms to them show them the ways it's not about pushing them away because i feel like a lot of queer people have been turned down from a certain religion because of what people said first of all don't let how humans perceive things be the way that you think that your creator perceives that situation that's not we're humans we tend to perceive things the way we want to perceive them it's more about how it best fits us and that's not how it should be we should just do it right like just be welcoming towards someone no matter how different they are be it by their skin be it by who they love be it by whatever like we're all different we can never be the same be loving towards people that's that's basically that just my thought because it's not about what the bible says it's more about how you perceive queer people to love them and you know just all that if you're a queer person a member of the lgbtq plus community i'd like to encourage you like if you have tried to be a part of a certain religion and you felt like an outcast or turned down i'm really sorry that you had to go through that but i still encourage you if it's even in your private private space in your bedroom engage in your beliefs like pray read your quran or your bible or whatever it is just be you believe in who you believe in express and let no one interfere i hope that that helps someone i just really wanted to get that out there and to get it introduces this whole new perspective on how i view it you can also adopt this perspective in a way and like start loving people 
But yeah, that was the message for today for the first segment. And to go on deeper into this conversation, we will have Lane and a special guest. We'll talk about more about like their uh, experience with Christianity or their religion and LGBTQ. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. Starting off, just tell me a little bit about who you are. Um, name, age, pronouns, maybe some of your identities. I'm Peterson Toscano. I currently live in South Africa, but I'm American. I just turned 56. I don't look it because I moisturize. I identify as male. I'm cisgender, gay male, but I'm kind of a femme gay guy. So I refer to myself as a sissy, like with a C, sissy. So what was some of your early childhood experiences? Was your family religious? I grew up in New York State in a Catholic family, an Italian-American Catholic family. And we were religious, but not like fundamentalists. Like we'd go to church and stuff. Religion was a big part of our lives, but, you know, it was more liberal than the more Protestant folks. My parents were um, children of immigrants. So their whole notion was they wanted us to have a better life than they did common experience for a lot of people how was your lgbtq identity um when did that sort of come about i always was different from other boys when i was growing up and i didn't quite know exactly what that difference was i I, you know i thought maybe it was just because i was bookish i was very different from my family which is very working class family and i was super interested in like poetry and (laughs) and theater and stuff like that so I didn't know that that was maybe because I was queer or just because of who I was. But when puberty hit, I definitely knew that I was attracted to guys exclusively. And I knew that this was a problem because the very worst thing you could be called at my school was gay or uh, a fairy was a word that they used back then a lot. And, and I knew I didn't want to be that because I didn't want to be picked on. I didn't know anybody who was gay. It was at a time, gosh, this was like the late 70s, early 80s. I just didn't hear about it anywhere. So I, I felt really alone in it, but I also picked up right away that this is not cool. So you were not very accepting of yourself at a young age. I wasn't. And I think, I think part of it was a lot having to do with fear, you know, like fear of rejection, fear of being bullied, fear of maybe upsetting my parents. Uh, and, and perhaps if I just went along and life was normal, I would have outgrown that fear. But when I was about 17, that's when the first reports about HIV AIDS came out. Uh, And at first it wasn't called HIV AIDS. It was called GRID, the gay related immune deficiency or gay cancer. I lived right outside of New York city and it was this weird, mysterious disease. And at that time they thought it only affected gay men and they had no clue how it was transmitted. They didn't know if it was airborne. In fact, the early AIDS patients, they were locked up in a room by themselves where Barely anyone ever went in to talk to them. They just brought them food and ran out full hazmat situation. And so that, that really terrified me um, because 
I mean, I didn't want to die. And it was a death sentence. So that, that really terrified me. And that deepened this aversion to being gay. What eventually helps you to overcome those fears? Because eventually, like the AIDS epidemic um, slowed, there was more widespread recognition of it. Um, what led you to overcome your, your fears? Well, it took, a, it took a long time. It took far too long because part of my reaction to all of this AIDS stuff was to turn to God. And in turning to God, I also turned to a different church, a very fundamentalist Bible church that made it clear that it was wrong to be gay and they believed that God could cure it. So that got me on a very dangerous path. I was a teenager at this time and, you know, it's just not healthy to tamper with young people's sexuality. And they were basically telling me mine was, was evil and flawed. I began this weird journey uh, for the next 17 years. I tried to de-gay myself through a variety of conversion therapies. And whenever it didn't work, and it never did, the leaders would always blame me and say, well, you're not trying hard enough. You don't want it badly enough. Uh, or it was demons. <laughs> they would always have come up with something else. It was never that this was a stupid thing to do. Uh, and so I got trapped in this weird cycle of fear and shame and lies that kept me trapped until, gosh, I was in my 30s when I finally broke out of that mess. Wow. So 17 years in essentially conversion therapy. This is a unfortunately somewhat common thing, um, at least to my knowledge, in the U.S. and other countries is conversion therapy. Um, what advice do you have for other young queer people who are struggling with their identities as it relates to religion? Yeah, it, it has been very common that, you know, some people have been told that they have to change and it's, it's people who are queer, uh, non-binary, trans are being targeted even far more today than, than gay and lesbian cis folks. And, and I think that part of it, again, comes down to fear. Parents who push this on their kids live with a certain level of ignorance and fear, thinking that if their kid is gay or trans or bi, that they're going to have a terrible life or that something terrible is going to happen to them. And, and that's simply not true. What will be terrible is if they go down this road, it's really, it's really dangerous and it will definitely interrupt the relationship with the family because the young person will eventually walk away from the family, you know, and accept themselves if the family can't accept them. And the advice I would have is, you know, being LGBTQ plus, you know, we come in all flavors. And for some of us, faith is really important. Uh, and, you, you know, to cut out that part of yourself would be like, you know, cutting out the gay part of yourself or the queer part of yourself. That's part of who you are. But you may not be in the right religious institution that supports that. And if that's the case, you'll have to see about finding a new one. And of course, if you're living with your parents and you know you don't have a lot of freedom, that, that makes it harder. And, and the fortunate thing these days, which I didn't have, is the internet. And there are so many resources for LGBTQ people of faith, regardless of your faith. And the best thing to do is find community wherever you can.
Yeah, we'll be sharing some of those resources later today um, for Portland specific churches that are LGBTQ welcoming. Um, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what church have you found to be um, church or denomination of religion have you found to be most accepting for you or what has worked best for you? For me, it's been the Quakers or the Religious Society of Friends is their official name. Uh, and it's uh, it's kind of a strange church because it doesn't have a pastor. It doesn't have any like real leaders. Uh, we get together, we sit in a circle and sit in silence until somebody has something to say. But the cool thing is you don't have to be a fancy minister to say something. If you got something to say, you say it. And for someone who was often got the message that I should need to shut up and sit down and listen, this was very powerful. Uh, and I really have liked it. And I have to say it was Quaker teenagers who helped me. I mean, here I was already in my 30s, and I had been beaten up by churches. So when I found the Quakers, I was like, yeah, they seem nice, but they may turn on you like these other people. I don't know. So I would go to these summer gatherings and I began to be like a counselor for the, the young people, like to help the young program, the teenagers. And I just saw how much they loved each other, how much, how like, how authentic they could be. I just saw this depth of love for, for God and for the community. And I was like the Grinch that like my heart just grew <laughs> like five times bigger seeing these, these young people. And it just, I, it just helped revive my faith in people and in an institution after years of people beating the snot out of me. And so I'm really grateful. I've been very happy with the Quakers. So we talk a lot about like suicide prevention and mental health on this podcast. That's what we're focused on here. So how was finding a church or a community that was more accepting beneficial to your mental health? Mm, that's a good question. You know, for me, it was really important to connect with people socially. And, and unfortunately at that time, like the, the only ways that to meet up with other gay people were often gay clubs. And those are fun and all, but like, you know, it's hard to have a conversation with all that loud music. And I found that being around people who just accepted me for who I was, particularly after not having that, it was life-giving and hanging out with families and their kids. And it was just really awesome to be able to be part of a community. And I, I definitely remember you know, I had a lot of depression even after I came out just because I had to deal with all that stuff. Uh, and it was just really, I just always remember after I hung out with folks from the Quaker meeting, I just felt better. And I have to say one other thing though, is there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing bad at all about getting proper therapy. And for all of the awful therapy I had, the horrible situations I was in, it was really important for me to, to get professional counseling and that helped me a great deal yes that's super important and we're working to make sure that uh, all students and youth have access to mental health resources because we know how important that is um, so with this newfound happiness did you sort of did you have any creative outlets did you engage in any activism how did how did your life i love this question because for someone like me who spent so much time and energy trying to destroy myself it was really important to recreate myself. And I found all kinds of new interests and passions from, you know, green tea to kayaking. 
I just started to embrace life. Also, those many years, I was not really allowed to use my brain much. So I just found this, it was just loved reading literature and, you know, Walt Whitman and Audre Lorde and our queer grandparents and grand beings who, you know, just left this treasure trove of literature. Uh, that was really important. And I also turned to my own art as a comedian, as a storyteller, as a playwright. And I wrote a play actually about these 17 years I was in conversion therapy, particularly two years in a like a rehab camp, an ex-gay camp. I wrote a play called Doing Time in the Homo Nomo Halfway House. And it was a it was a way of of bearing witness to the harm of conversion therapy. Because back then people just thought it was a joke. I'm like, no, this is no joke. This is serious. Even if I'm funny about it, it is serious. And that connecting with other survivors who'd been through it. And together by around 2006, 2007, we started the ex-gay survivor movement where we publicly told our story on YouTube, on blogs, on national television to just help people understand this is dangerous business. And as a result of that activism, there are now so many states that have put a ban on conversion therapy and those stories still resonate today so that people they'll hear it and they're like, yeah, I heard that's really dangerous. And that was because there was a handful of people, maybe 20 or less who decided we need to tell our stories and stories are really powerful. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And, and I'll add one other thing. I also needed to become creative about the Bible. I mean, I think it's totally fine for someone who's been abused by the Bible to walk away from it. I get that. But I felt I needed to have a creative dialogue with it. So I began a quest to find gender nonconforming Bible characters and wrote a play about that called Transfigurations, Transgressing Gender in the Bible. And, and, and these days, I still do lots of stuff with queer issues, but I am very concerned about climate change and very curious about creating a better world. So I'm sort of applying these various lessons I learned from queer activism and queer creativity and applying it to climate solutions. Yeah, I mean, Oregon only banned conversion therapy for minors in, I think, 2015, so just five or six years ago. So there's still a lot of very progressive and liberal states that um, only just recently banned conversion therapy. In terms of creative outlets specifically, I'm interested in uh, the work you've done with the Bible. Do you think that's had an impact on um, young people who are maybe struggling with their religion or trying to find themselves within their religion and find people that they can identify with um, in the Bible? I have received so many emails and messages and Facebook messages from people who it really just opened their eyes because I, I tried to do something different so often queer theology is defensive where, you know, they say you're a worthless piece of snot. And then you have to explain why you're not. And it's very negative. But what I've decided to do was let me look at the people who are really cool in the Bible, who like break the rules around gender, around orientation. And there are these amazing stories of really interesting characters that are really important to these stories. And when people saw that, that like, I remember one time after I did a presentation, this guy stood up to try to ask a question, but he was weeping, weeping. And finally he said, I just want to thank you for bringing my ancestors back to me. I didn't even know they existed. And you showed me 
And that I have to say is just such an honor to be able to do that kind of work. That is so incredible. And um, I think it just really shows the impact that having a positive outlook on religion and LGBTQ identity can have, because you're right, so often it's so negative and people um, view it so negatively. So I appreciate the work that you've done around that. And I think it's incredibly important. Um, I, think, I think especially for parents too, you know, like I remember getting calls from parents of trans kids who, you know, religious and, you know, they, they like want to, do the best for their kids, but they have all these family and friends and pastors saying that, you know, they need to stop this and straighten out your kid, but they could see that their kid was not happy being anything but themselves. So sitting down and showing them that in their Bible, that they care so much about that there are people like their child that that just gave them so much confidence that they were doing the right thing. So that does bring up a question for me. How do you interact with these sort of anti-gay activists that are so aggressive and negative towards the idea of LGBTQ identity intersecting with religious identity? We are such a minority, a very loud minority. They are very loud, but there aren't that many of them really. And most of them, they don't wanna hear, right? They're convinced. There's nothing I could say to convince them. Uh, particularly on their point when they say, well, it says that it's wrong because of blah, blah, blah. Anything I say, they're not going to listen to. But I know my Bible and I know they know their Bible. So I'll ask them a question that people who, Christians who know their Bible, they'll know. I'll ask them about a character named the, the I'll ask them about a character, the Ethiopian eunuch, which is in, in the book of Acts. And I say, what did this eunuch look like? What did this eunuch sound like? And they have no idea because they never think about it. It's a super important story. And I explain to them what a eunuch is. Now, eunuchs don't choose to be eunuchs, but they were often castrated before puberty. And as a result, they never go through puberty. So they grow up, but they're like males with high voices and no facial hair. They can't have children. In their day, they were the queer people right? There were, there were men, women, and there were eunuchs. And these were like total other beings. And in this story, this eunuch has this encounter with one of Jesus's disciples, becomes a Christian, brings the gospel back to Ethiopia, and the church in Ethiopia traces their roots to this person. So then I just ask that Christian and say, if someone who looked and sounded like the Ethiopian eunuch walked into your church on Sunday would they have a great experience like this person? And that's the question I leave them with because I'm like, this person found a home, found a great place. Um, would they find one in yours? Someone who is a black African surgically altered gender variant person. Are they welcome in your church? If not, then you, you're not really obeying the word of God. I think that's a really good way to sort of turn the question on themselves and be like, are you really if you are so opposed to the idea of um, other beings, or as you put it, the Ethiopian eunuch who um, is so different from the traditional binary gender, sort of turning that question on themselves. Like, are you really following the word of God if you are judgmental and so opposed to having these people in your church? I think that's about all the questions I have. Awesome. Um, um, we really appreciate having you on the show. Hi. This is Nicole, the adult advisor for the show. 
We are so grateful to Peterson for doing this interview. And if you want to find more from Peterson, be sure to follow him on Twitter at P, the number two, S-O-N, on Instagram at Peterson, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, and listen to his show, Bubble and Squeak, wherever you find podcasts. That was our second episode of the All in My Head podcast. We hope you like our topic on religion and being LGBTQ plus today. Well, currently, there are many places of worship in the U.S. that are openly LGBTQ plus affirmative and friendly. It definitely hasn't always been this way. Following the 1948 Kinsey Report, the 1950 U.S. Congressional Report stated that being LGBT was considered a mental illness and constitutes a security risk for the entire nation. In 1952, the American Psychiatric Association labels being gay as a sociopathic personality disturbance. While the U.S. government and religious groups and organizations across the country openly supported homophobic rhetoric, organizations like the 1950 Mattachine Society and the 1955 Daughters of Politis both work for the justice of gay and lesbian rights. Transgender revolutionaries such as Marcia P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera also push for justice within the LGBT community. This work continues today with organizations like PFLAG that have worked to advocate for LGBTQ plus people within their religious communities by working to pass legislative measures such as the Every Child Deserves a Family Act and much more. The al Foundation gives support to LGBTQ plus Muslims, providing resources such as counseling and marriage services, psycho-spiritual safe spaces, and more Islamic community building events. Organizations like Kashit provide leadership opportunities for Jewish LGBTQ plus individuals and also work to advance LGBTQ rights worldwide. For more Portland-specific places of worship you can go to, check out our Instagram page at the All On My Head podcast. For even more amazing resources, check out the Trevor Project webpage. There are a national crisis intervention and suicide prevention service that is open to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning LGBTQ plus young people under 25. Their crisis line is 1-866-488-7386. That is 1-866-488-7386. Thanks for listening to our second episode of the All in My Head podcast. We hope you enjoyed. This podcast was created using a grant from the Oregon Alliance to Prevent Suicide in partnership with the Association of Oregon Community Mental Health Programs and with funding from the Oregon Health Authority. The adult advisor is Nicole Mayer, music by Waterboy, shared on Pixabay.